Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thank you very much for joining us. We start tonight with news of an Okanagan boy who is fighting for his life at Vancouver's Children's Hospital. The four-year-old was rushed there from West Bank last weekend after contracting a potentially deadly blood infection, an infection so serious one of his hands will have to be amputated. Jill Bennett has our top story and a warning. It does include some graphic images. Big Evan. Say hi, Evan. Four-year-old Evan Shashakli is awake and talking, something his mom and stepdad have been hoping for. He's delusional, so everything that comes out of his mouth is kind of like baby talk in a sense or mumbo-jumbo. But for me, that's a step in the right direction. Last weekend, Evan was healthy and playing just like any other four-year-old, but he developed flu-like symptoms early Sunday. He went to the ER in Kelowna and was airlifted to Children's Hospital with septicemia, a blood infection that turned parts of his body black. His whole shoulder, his whole arm, this whole shoulder, and like it's all arm, his whole feet all the way up to his knees are black. So we are, we are making some sort of step forward in the sense. It's now just trying to figure out what is done and what can we try to salvage for him. Doctors have told the couple Evan will likely lose one hand and fingers on the other. Still, they are grateful. He's now showing signs of improvement. When I arrived here, they, we weren't sure he was even going to make it through that night. Yesterday, opens his eyes for the first time and he goes to pick up, scratch his forehead and hits his forehead with his fingers, realizes what's on his hand and asks me, what's on there? What is on me? What's wrong with me? Why is this like that? It breaks my freaking heart. There's nothing we can do. Evan will likely have to stay in the hospital for a few months before starting rehab. A fundraising page has been set up to help the couple with expenses so they can stay near him in Vancouver as much as possible. As they know one thing is for sure, it will be a long road ahead. All I want is to be able to take my, my kid home and go and try and live some sort of normal life for him. Jill Bennett, Global News. BC's police watchdog is investigating tonight after an elderly woman was struck and seriously hurt by a police vehicle in Chilliwack. It happened around 5.30 on Friday afternoon near the 5800 block of Tyson Road. The Independent Investigations Office says the elderly victim was crossing the road when she was hit by a larger police vehicle. The woman was seriously hurt. She is still in hospital with significant injuries to one of her legs. The police watchdog has been called in due to the serious injury involved. And we will be looking at um, the circumstances of where the individual was on the road. We'll be looking at the, um, how the police vehicle was being driven, the, its speed, the road conditions, uh, traffic conditions, all of those types of things. And uh, that's one of the reasons it's very important for us uh, to speak to witnesses. Well, a bittersweet day for the survivors of a dark chapter in BC's history. The NDP government announcing today it would be compensating former residents of the Woodlands Provincial Mental Institution who were denied any money in an earlier legal settlement. Survivors and supporters say that this was a hard-fought victory by those who have already suffered 
far too much. Nadia Stewart reports. Occasionally, I have nightmares of what happened to me and what I witnessed. These are the names and stories of some of BC's most vulnerable, who endured years of abuse and neglect at the Woodlands Provincial Mental Institution. Everything from starvation to feeding you baby food, bread and milk. Members of Woodlands residents dragged down the halls by their hair like a sack of potatoes. But after years of fighting previous governments for compensation for their suffering, there is now finally some closure. Everyone who was at Woodlands prior to 1974, who previously wasn't eligible for any compensation at all, will receive $10,000. Woodlands opened in 1878 and closed in 1996. A 2002 report revealed there had been widespread sexual, physical and psychological abuse. But previous Liberal governments fought a class action lawsuit. Pre-1974 survivors were denied settlements. We saw this as another injustice in a long line of Woodlands injustices. Systemic abuse before 1974 is no different from systemic abuse after August 1974. Saturday's announcement means those shut out from previous settlements will receive $10,000, a bittersweet milestone. Thank you. Thank you very much. Longtime supporter Adrian Dix says the New Democrats estimate there are between nine and 1,500 living survivors. Government hopes to compensate them all within a year, righting a wrong for which no amount of money will ever truly be enough. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Kamloops RCMP needs your help in finding the driver involved in a hit-and-run crash that left a man with critical injuries. He'd parked his commercial vehicle in the Valley View area at 9.45 on Thursday night and was crossing Frontage Road when he was hit. The suspect vehicle didn't stop. Now the victim is in a critical condition in hospital with serious multiple injuries. If you do have any information about what happened, including video of this crash, please do get in touch with Kamloops RCMP or Crime Stoppers. Victoria Police believe that impaired driving is behind an overnight hit-and-run crash that injured two people. Police were called to the intersection of Quadra and Finlayson streets shortly after 2 a.m. They found a taxi cab had been struck from behind, injuring its two passengers. Police say the suspect vehicle fled but crashed into a telephone pole in the 3100 block of Jutland nearby, taking down the pole and the wires too. The driver, who police say showed signs of impairment, was taken into custody. Staying in Victoria, a man is in hospital with potentially life-threatening injuries after, <clears throat> excuse me, what appears to be an unprovoked attack. Officers were called to the back of a building in the 900 block of Douglas Street at around 2.30 this morning. A man had been struck in some sort of fight. A suspect was found and taken into custody. Victoria Police are appealing now for witnesses to both incidents. A milestone day for people in Victoria. After years of debate and major cost overruns, the new Johnson Street Bridge is finally open today. Kristen Robinson reports now on whether taxpayers in the capital, though, think it's all worth it. <laughs> And with that, Victoria's new Johnson Street Bridge is lowered for the first time. In with the new and out with old blue. We're going to kind of miss it. And yeah, it's kind of a 
side by side because yeah. it's a little piece of history that's going to be gone pretty quick. It's new. I'm going to miss the old blue bridge, but it's all right. I just spent my last couple minutes in there saying goodbye. Thousands out for the city street party, complete with a disco ball on the old blue bridge, where former operator Gary Mullins spent 17 years. What we have here is the model A of our time. And the new bridge, I compare it to a Lamborghini. The curves, the looks of it, the sleekness of it. The old bridge uh, it served its purpose, and the new bridge is a leap into the future. Two, one. And getting to this ribbon cutting has been a leap of faith. Over budget and behind schedule, the city decided to replace the crumbling and then 85-year-old Blue Bridge in 2009 at a cost of $40 million. Nine years later, the final price tag sits at more than $105 million. And worth the cost? Well, I don't know about that. It's amazing. It's, yeah. yeah, it's huge. It's No wonder it's taken so long. <laughs> it looks better to me. Yeah. That one is a monstrosity. The new bridge will be iconic with its rolling bascule design. Once a walkway opens, cyclists and pedestrians will share the bridge deck with vehicles. At night, the crossing will be lit up in a new blue. Well, it's better because it's safer. Uh, if there's an earthquake, it won't fall down. I don't think people need to panic at this stage that somehow there's going to be a big bill coming. Uh, at the moment, we're within the budget. You think it's worth it? I hope so. We'll see how long it lasts. Ask me in 100 years. Old Blue will come down in a few weeks. It's three pieces put on a barge to be recycled. Kristen Robinson, Global News. In Surrey, family and friends are looking for a missing 25-year-old man. Roshan Smith was last seen on February the 9th. He was dropped off at the corner of 72nd Avenue and 128th Street. Now, he had planned uh, to travel to Vancouver Island to look for work as a landscaper. He was expected to return to Surrey within a month, but he hasn't been heard from since. Smith is described as dark-skinned, male, 5 foot 11 inches tall, 150 pounds, with dark curly hair and brown eyes. If you do have any information, Information about him, please do call Surrey RCMP. Dozens of volunteers have turned out over the last few days in the Okanagan to help with a frantic search for a missing senior. Lawrence Hamilton hasn't been seen since last weekend. Jules Knox of Global Okanagan now reports on what we know about the man who's missing, the search, and why he wasn't reported missing right away. This is the last time 72-year-old Lawrence Hamilton was seen, visiting his mother at West Kelowna's Lakeview Lodge last Sunday. He's been missing ever since. Search is ongoing. It's slow. Uh, we're still searching every nook and cranny, pulling every thread possible. Search and Rescue's Coralie Naren says Hamilton's wife is worried. Her husband has daily medication he needs to take. As you can imagine, uh, she's, she's very distraught. Hamilton wasn't reported missing for two days because of the myth that police don't take missing persons cases for 48 hours. His wife, from what we understand, actually did a search on her own, waiting for that clock to finish ticking, so to speak, and be able to put the call in. Search and rescue teams don't have any leads right now. They're asking people in West Kelowna to check their yards and any surveillance video from last Sunday to see if Hamilton happened to walk by their house. We haven't had anybody come forward, you know, in regards to checking camera footage, and that's really going to be our biggest, biggest uh, point for investigation is if we can get a direction of travel. 
Researchers say Hamilton is about six feet tall and 180 pounds with dyed brown hair. He has a, a dark blue jacket on, beige shoes and a lime green shirt. Hamilton is known as a man who loved to walk, not just for exercise, but his sheer love of it, sometimes covering upwards of 70 kilometers a day. He was what I call the marathon walker. He, he could cover distance and go a great distance. But that's creating a challenge for searchers now as they struggle to look for any clues about where he went. Jules Knox, Global News, West Kelowna. BC rocker Matthew Good returned to the stage in Kelowna last night, days after collapsing in Edmonton. Good took to Instagram to thank his fans for the support after some pretty scary moments when he was on stage in Edmonton on Tuesday night. He was forced to drop out of his Prince George show, his return in Kelowna, clearly pretty emotional. He's going to play the final show of his cross-Canada tour with Our Lady Peace in Abbotsford tonight. Welcome back. A rare honour for a World War II veteran in Kelowna today. The 96-year-old was given France's highest medal. Herb Manwiller, Second World War veteran. Herb Manwiller is now a knight of the French Legion of Honour for his role in repairing the bridges that were bombed as the Germans retreated in the Second World War. He landed in Normandy the day after D-Day. A few dozen people, including Manuela's family, getting together in Kelowna's Hawthorne Park today for his special moments. It makes me very proud. Um, I know how much uh, his service in the Second World War means to him. And so to have this recognized is wonderful, especially from the government of France. I, I'm just getting emotional just talking about it. I know it's very emotional for me. I, I, I really, it's an honor for me to actually give it out today. And I really want to thank the family for even uh, asking us to do it. The award is France's equivalent to the Order of Canada. Thousands in Vancouver's downtown Eastside enjoying a hot meal this Easter weekend. 3,000 meals were served today at the Union Gospel Mission to help feed the less fortunate. Hundreds of volunteers, including our very own Sophie Louis and Paul Hasem, were helping to make the meal meaningful for those who would normally be alone this holiday weekend. The mission says homelessness is a crisis that especially affects women and children. This uh, matters a lot to a huge multitude of people. We're seeing a surge in need right now at UGM, particularly among women and women with young babies. It's really troubling. Uh, more people are coming to us looking for help, and we need to be there and remind them that there's hope and that there's a future. When people come in, um, they can connect to a program, and that could change their life. So this is a, this is a big deal for a lot of reasons. And later, a more high-profile volunteer coming in to help serve the meals and speak with those in the community. NBA player Jeremy Lin of the Brooklyn Nets. He's currently in town rehabilitating an injured knee. He volunteered alongside Chloe, who has been homeless and survived an overdose. They both say they are very grateful to be able to give back. It's been a lot of fun just because I have spent the last like five or six months in Vancouver and I feel like you know I'm doing this today and I get to share my story tomorrow um, so I just feel like you know I'm leaving next week but I wanted to be able to find opportunities to be able to serve the community here just feel like they've done a lot you know I've learned a lot and I'm out here doing something big with my career trying to get my, my body right and uh, you know it's just a fun time to be able to kind of get perspective on everything and not always be so immersed in 
the NBA life. And the Vancouver Canucks also giving back to their fans this morning. They held a meet and greet outside Rogers Arena. That's before this afternoon's game against the Columbus Blue Jackets. There was no pre-game skate, so the players, including the Sedins, signed autographs and posed for selfies, which pleased the crowds no end. It's amazing. Uh, you know, I've been a Canucks fan since I moved to Vancouver. Sounds good thing to start the day off. It's awesome because I get to meet the Sedins and everyone else. They're really tall and they're, like, they're really good so I love it. Great for them to come out like this. It's awesome. We are huge Canucks fans. Come out to a lot of the games. It's a great event and it's uh, so nice to see uh, all the players come out. And Steve Nash is going to be officially inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame this September. His career all started at St. Mike's in Victoria, where he was a high school basketball star. He eventually would earn two MVP titles in the NBA after being drafted by Phoenix. That was in 1996. He also played for Dallas and the Lakers. He is considered the greatest Canadian basketball player ever. So to represent my country is, is incredible, and, and I would say the fruit of, of playing the game as hard as I could for as long as I could is, is, has brought me an opportunity to watch us now, I think, have the second most NBA players of any country other than the United States. So when I came into the league, that was uh, an idea that would have been laughed off the table. No, no kidding. He, there's some incredible Canadians now, and th that guy has a lot to do with it. And he also made the assist cool again. Third all-time in the NBA in assists. Mm -hmm. Some of the most incredible passes uh, that we've ever seen to some of his teammates. So, so pretty well, well deserved. Well deserved for Very Steve Nash. It was pretty much a slam dunk, although he was not known nice. for slam dunking. <laughs> he was known for being a pure shooter and a great passer, but great to see. What else is going on today, then? Well... I'm glad you asked. Uh -huh. There was a lot going on uh, today, Ashley, uh, in kind of a odd situation. Both the uh, Canucks and the uh, Whitecaps both played against Columbus teams. The Canucks played at uh, Rogers Arena and won. Whitecaps played in Columbus and won. So mm. you have to celebrate these days, uh, especially you know, with the Canucks playing. They don't get a lot of wins, but they're on a roll. They've won four in a row and five of six, but uh, obviously a little too little too late. But they're playing well, and Thatcher Demko, their young goalie, made his NHL debut, so and we'll hear from him. Maybe the sunshine has something to do with what's going on They're just happy. Sure, you're always happier to perform yeah. in Vancouver when yeah. it's sunny. And it's also Easter weekend, which yes. is nice. Uh, it's nice and bright out there today. We had some bright spots for many areas across the south coast. A dry one as well. Here's a look at the tower cam shot overlooking English Bay, so it's gorgeous out there. We will see uh, more cloud cover leading in towards tomorrow. If you've got any Easter festivities and you plan to be outdoors, we do have the return for some wet weather. I'll have the timing of that, what that looks like for your Sunday leading into Monday, which is the wettest day. I'll have that coming up shortly. And along the mountain passes, we are tracking some snowfall, especially for your Sunday. I'll have those numbers too. Welcome back. Well, more protests in California today after a new autopsy into the police-involved shooting of a 22-year-old black man in Sacramento earlier this month. As NBC's Steve Patterson reports, NBA athletes are also lending their support to the demonstrators. Say his name! Tonight, a renewed call for justice. Former NBA player Matt Barnes leading a rally for action in his hometown. These people out here are supposed to be protecting and serving, and they're playing judge, jury, and executioner, and, and that's not right. 
up above a selection of speakers speaking alongside the family of Stefan Clark. Down below, dozens of people coming out to channel all this energy into something positive. This rally, the latest in a string of demonstrations over the last two weeks. Fueled by independent autopsy reports released yesterday saying Stefan Clark was shot eight times, six of those shots from behind. In my standards, it sounds like an execution. It just broke the window, running south. On March 18th, police say they were responding to reports of vandalism when they encountered Clark. Show me your gun, gun, gun. Officers said they thought he had a gun, but after firing 20 shots, discovered it was his cell phone. What followed? Community outrage. Protesters even blocked the entrance to the Sacramento Kings Arena this week. NBA players saw it as an opportunity to speak out. We will not stick to sports. Airing a PSA calling for accountability. League veteran Garrett Temple was at the center of the team's decision to get involved. I feel like, um, you know, you have to be the voice for the voices. I think it's kind of an obligation um, to, to do that. The Kings are just the latest in a wave of pro athletes taking a stance in response to police-involved deaths in the black community. From I Can't Breathe warm-up shirts worn by NBA stars after Eric Gardner's 2014 death to the viral symbol of players kneeling in the NFL, the Kings now taking advantage of a powerful platform We will not shut up and dribble by going beyond the game. Tesla now says a self-driving vehicle involved in a deadly crash last week was on autopilot at the time. The crash happened in Mountain View in California's Silicon Valley. The electric car maker says that the 38-year-old driver who was killed did not have his hands on the steering wheel for six seconds before the crash. That is despite several warnings from the vehicle. Tesla says vehicle logs show the driver took no action to stop the Model X SUV from crashing into a concrete divider. A self-driving Volvo SUV was being tested by Uber in Arizona earlier this month when a pedestrian was struck and killed. Six years after nearly losing her life, Malala Yousafzai has returned home. The Nobel Peace Prize winner arrived in her hometown in the Swat Valley in Pakistan today. That is for the first time since 2012. That is when she was nearly killed by a Taliban gunman. Yousafzai checks in at her old school. She also went to her former home. The 22-year-old, 20-year-old, sorry, reduced to tears during the visit. Malala was just 14 when she was targeted by the Taliban for speaking out about girls getting an education. She says she plans to move back to Pakistan after completing her studies in Britain. Hundreds paid tribute to renowned physicist and author Stephen Hawking at his funeral today. The crowd spontaneously applauding as pallbearers carried Hawking's casket into a Cambridge church for the private service. The 76-year-old was remembered as a brave man who triumphed over his motor neurone disease while also pushing the frontiers of research into space and time. Among the 500 mourners, musician and astrophysicist Brian May, as well as actors Eddie Redmayne and Felicity Jones, who played Hawking and his wife in the 2014 biographical film, The Theory of Everything. Hawking's ashes will be interned at Westminster Abbey, near the remains of fellow scientist Isaac Newton. In Health Matters tonight, technology can help to prevent young children from being left behind in hot cars. A smart car seat is now being sold in the U.S. If a parent or caregiver forgets that a child remains strapped in the seat, there's an app that will send them an alert to their smartphone 
and the vehicle. The app also issues a warning if the child unbuckles the chest clip while the car is in motion. And it monitors the air in the back seat if the temperature becomes dangerously hot or cold. The temperature in a car can go up over 20 degrees in less than 10 minutes, so it rises really rapidly. Secondly, children and infants in particular have a very hard time regulating their body temperature. So it's, a child's body temperature can rise four to five times as fast as that of an adult. Emergency contacts are notified if the user doesn't acknowledge the alert. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. All right, we've all had unwanted guests now and then, but uh, I want to tell you now about how police in Florida had to remove one from a homeowner's pool. An 11-foot alligator breaking through a screen porch at a home in Sarasota County late last night, taking a little dip in the pool. An animal trapper had to be called who managed to pull the alligator out, but not before damaging the porch door as it was being removed. The homeowner believes low water levels in local lagoons was a factor in attracting the alligator to her pool. Not nice. That would I'd <laughs> probably scream my head off before calling that animal trapper. It's not yeah. something that you want to pass by no. at any hour. Uh, it's been brilliant out there. Yeah, it's fantastic. Weather. A great start to the long weekend. We've got dry conditions, a bit of a change on the way, a, a, a lull in the action, rather. Um, and I'll outline what that means for your forecast in just a moment. Here's a shot once again overlooking English Bay. Temperatures today have been on the mild side. We're into the double digits. We're sitting at 10 degrees with a northwesterly wind at nine kilometers per hour. High today was at 11, right where we should be for this time of the year. And a record of 16 degrees was set back in 1941. Eight is the high today for areas near Kamloops. The Soyuz was into the double digits. Trail today at 11 degrees. Victoria at 12. Coastal sections for the northern half for Prince Rupert up to seven. And areas near the Peace at Cooler day today with minus eight. Current temperatures for North Van sitting at 12, Coquitlam 13, Burnaby War Studios were at 12 degrees, 15 for Pitt Meadows, 14 for areas near Surrey and stretching in towards the valley and eastern sections with hope up to 13 degrees and similar for Chilliwack and Abbotsford. 12 is your current temperature still for Victoria, 9 for areas near Whistler, pushing out to uh, Quinell at the freezing mark, the Peace at minus 9, and Bella Coola currently sitting at 10 degrees. We will have more cloud cover working its way in across the south coast. Across Metro Vancouver, the timing of it, this next trough and weather feature is going to push in. And what we'll see as it is unsettled conditions and the chance for some shower activity. It'll be as early as the afternoon tomorrow and then continue to remain unsettled throughout much of the day. And then we'll see some breaks in behind it on our Monday with the return for some sunshine. Interior sections, if you're traveling along the highway passes, we are going to see flurries for most areas this evening and overnight. But tomorrow, accumulating snowfall for the Coquihalla and the connector ranging between 2 and up to 4 centimetres towards the end of the day. Eagle Pass to Rogers Pass, 10 and up to 20 centimetres. will be 5 to 10 throughout the day and then an additional 5 to 10 for the evening. And it'll be similar for the Kootenai Pass for Highway 3. So that'll be late in the day for tomorrow. Most areas for the peace, though, dry conditions over the next three days. Plenty of sunshine for tomorrow and a high up to minus 3. Whitehorse will see a dry day but an increase in cloud cover. Flurries 
developing towards the evening and then a chance of flurries continuing for Monday. Coastal sections will be underneath the mainly cloudy sky. The moisture is going to work in. It'll be showers on Monday and then a heavier round of rain for your Tuesday. Most areas for the Caribou and Central Interior dry for the next two days to round off your Easter weekend, but gusty winds for tomorrow afternoon up to 40 kilometers per hour. Columbia and Kootenai region, a range between 2 and up to 4 centimetres. Wet snow and then changing over to rain for most areas. The Thompson Okanagan will see wet flurries for the morning hours. Also seeing that transition with up to 6 as your high. Flurries for most areas near Whistler and then a dry one for your Easter Monday at 6 degrees. And across the island, we are going to see that shower activity pushing in. Most areas will be late by the afternoon. Similar for Metro Vancouver, we've got 8 tomorrow. Unsettled for your Sunday, but Monday we've got some sunny breaks, drier conditions, and we're back up to around 10 degrees. A change late on our Tuesday and leading in towards our Wednesday. Sonia? All right. Thanks very much for that, Yvonne. Now, when it comes to weddings, there's lots of traditions to follow, of course. One of them has the bride wearing something borrowed on her big day. Now, an unexpected item of clothing is adding a bit of a modern twist to that old custom. These dresses will all have their special day. But this jacket will have many. That jacket will be something they don't expect. And I will be very proud. This leather jacket is part of a new trend the Dream It Yourself bridal shop is embracing. They love the jacket. All my bride wants a jacket. It's the sisterhood of the traveling jacket is like one of the cute things that we call it. The original jacket was created by Toronto bride and calligrapher Sylvia Wong for her wedding. Instead of letting it collect dust, she decided to share it with 54 brides and counting. With Wong's blessing, calligrapher Jody Tellier created the Montreal chapter. I sent her a message and I was just like, hey girl, if ever you wanted somebody in Montreal, I would be like more than happy to take part in the project. Montreal brides can borrow the jacket to wear it on their big day. The cost? A bottle of red wine. I just thought it was a really nice sort of like community building thing that she did. Um, I also really like red wine. Jody's version of the jacket now lives at this bridal shop for other sisters to enjoy. This was the jacket's very first wedding in Montreal, and it won't be the last. It's already actually half booked for this wedding season and a couple of dates next year, so it's booking up by brides so cool just like Radiva the adventure is only beginning the sisterhood is taking over the world women across the globe are embracing the concept with chapters in New York Philadelphia and across the pond in England if at the end of the year I don't know how long it will last but if that jacket can just speak it will have a lot of stories to tell I love it Gloria Enriquez Global News Montreal all right, time to get uh, all your sports now and mm -hmm. some big wins today. Good day, a daily double Good. for us Vancouver teams. All right, thanks so much, uh, Sonia. It's uh, Columbus Day for Vancouver pro sports teams. The Whitecaps were in Columbus earlier today. We'll visit that game in a moment. But the Columbus Blue Jackets were in Vancouver taking on a red-hot Canucks team that's won three straight and four of its last five. Thatcher Demko making his NHL debut, the goalie of the future for the Canucks, in because Anders Nilsson had the flu and Jacob Narkstam needs a rest. Demko's parents in for the game. The 22-year-old with a bit of beginner's luck. Opening seconds of the game, Cam Atkinson hits the post. Later in the period, another Columbus chance. Off the post and out. Later in the first on a power play, Seth Jones is going to hit the post again, but this time it goes post and in. 
So the first goal surrendered by Demko. one nothing Blue Jackets after one. They've been rolling. They've won 12 of 13. Second period, Jackets looking for more, but Demko with a fantastic pad save off Cam Atkinson. Demko showing what he can do. He's had a very good season in Utica with 23 wins and a 2.49 goals against average. Mid-second, Canucks get on the board. Darren Archibald with the wrister gets past Eunice Corposalo. Fourth of the year for Archibald. Ties it up 1-1. Then the Canucks on the rush. Nikolai Goldobin and UC Jokinen work the give and go. Goldobin, Goldobin rather fires home his sixth. 2-1 after two. Third period, Canucks add to the lead. Great saucer pass by Jake Bertanen to UC Jokinen, who's been pretty good of late. Snaps it past his former teammate, 3-1 Vancouver. Meanwhile, Demko, more solid work with the pads to keep it a two-goal hockey game. And then it's UC again, Jokinen. Beautiful little feed to Bo Horvat, who finishes for his 21st, a career high for Bo. 4-1 Vancouver. This one looked over. But the Jackets weren't done yet. They made it 4-2, and then late with the goalie pulled, Artemi Panarin with a feed to Zach Wierenski to make it 4-3. And then 16 seconds later, it's Cam Atkinson with the tip in. Three goals in 237. It's 4-4, and we require overtime. Brandon Sutter with the steal. Alex Edler all day long to wait, wait, and then finally fire home the game winner. Canucks have now won four in a row, five of six. It's the first NHL win for Thatcher Demko. I mean, I, I have a few posts tonight. Um, <laughs> I think the posts are bigger up here than they are in the AHL. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, I just try to enjoy it. Um, I had a blast, you know. Even when they scored like three consecutive shots or whatever it was, I was still, you know, smiling. <laughs> Uh, I think some of the guys up in the top section were, were chanting my name, so it was cool to, to have some of the fans, you know, cheering for you. A great day for Thatcher Demko. Meanwhile, the Whitecaps also enjoyed this Columbus Day. It was a big task to go into Columbus to take on the 3-0-1 crew. Columbus has had some impressive wins already over defending champs Toronto FC and Montreal. Whitecaps were a little underwhelming in their last outing, a 0-0 draw at home to LA Galaxy, but the Caps came to play today. Kai Kamara played 77 matches over four seasons in Columbus, and he had the game's first good chance, but a little off balance, and he will sail it over the crossbar. Remain nil-nil. But later in the half, the crew get on the board. Whitecaps keeper Stefan Marinovic spills the initial shot right into the path of Giazzi Zardes, who taps it in. 1-0 crew at the half. But the Whitecaps come to life in the second half. Bernie Abini with the cross here, and it deflects right to Breck Shea, who will just powder the uh, volley for his sixth goal as a white cap. Five of them have been scored on the road. That's a good skill to have. Road goals are huge. Ties at 1-1. Then Kai Kamara with some great footwork will spring Alfonso Davies and check out the moves by the teenager. Walks around the keeper, slots it in. A brilliant goal, which deserves a dance celebration. But upon further review, right there, apparently he touched it with his arm. They reviewed it, and it's no goal because of handball. Carl Robinson did not argue. He was okay with it, especially after minutes later. It's a goal by Kai Kamara off a 
tremendous service by Felipe and the Whitecaps, an impressive 2-1 win. They go to 3-1-1, and they are first in the Western Conference. Meanwhile, in L.A., Zlatan Zlatan Ibrahimovic made his MLS debut for the Galaxy against crosstown rival LAFC, and he likes this Hollywood thing. Scores just five minutes in with a tremendous shot from distance, and then for the true Hollywood ending, Ibrahimovic with the game-winning header in stoppage time. What a debut. Two goals in 20 minutes and a 4-3 Galaxy victory over LAFC. English Premiership, Everton hosting front-running Manchester City, and City wasted no time getting down to business. Leroy Sané, just a brilliant volley to open up the scoring. 1-0 City, and then later on, Kevin De Bruyne in full flight over to Gabriel De Jesus, and he will head it in 2-0 at that point. 3-1 the final for City. Their record through 31 matches, 27 wins, 3 draws, just 1 loss. Man United taking on Swansea. United trying to hold on to second place. And it's uh, Romelu Lukaku with his 100th EPL goal. Made it 1-0 United. And then Alexis Sanchez, just his second goal since coming over to Man U. 2-0 the final. They face Man City next week trying to put off a Man City celebration for the English Premiership title. Welcome back. The NBA playoffs start in two weeks, but the Raptors get a dress rehearsal over the next few nights when they play the Celtics, the Cavaliers, and then the Celtics again. It's a little miniseries between the three Eastern powers and another chance for the Raptors to show they are a true contender for the NBA championship this season. Celtics and Raptors have split their two meetings so far this season, each team winning at home. Late first quarter, Fred Van Vliet dialing it up from three. That goes. Raptors 33-31 after one. Second quarter, Kyle Lowry. Nifty little feed here to Jonas Valanciunas on the pick and roll. Check out Lowry's pass between the legs of the defender. And then JV with the throwdown. 55-53 Toronto at the half. And later in the fourth tie ball game, Van Vliet to Pascal Siakam for the throwdown. It's a tight game in the fourth. Celtics, though, have opened up a six-point lead with a couple minutes to go. Blue Jays and Yankees. New York won the first two games of this series, uh, season opening series. Game tied 3-3 in the eighth. Jan Jervis Solarte goes deep. Solo shot for the new Blue Jay infielder, who's a former San Diego Padre and Yankee. 4-3 Toronto. Later in the inning, Kevin Pillar steals home. Off Dellen Batansis, Pilar's third stolen base of the inning. That's a franchise record. Jays win 5-3. Mariners lost 6-5 to Cleveland. James Paxton took the loss in that one. Back to the NHL, Leafs and Jets. The uh, only Canadian teams that will make the playoffs. Both over 100 points this season. Second period, Leaf power play. Patrick Marlowe with his 26. That was a great pickup to get Marlowe, who's still very productive in his late 30s. Jets answer, though. Josh Morrissey winds and fires past Curtis McElhinney. Screen drive there. Ties it at one. And then the Jets on the power play. It's big buff. Dustin Bufflin just gets it through. Another screen shot. 2-1 at that point. 3-1 Jets very late in the third. Panthers and Bruins. Florida three points out of the final playoff spot. Fighting for their playoff lives. Bruins trying to catch Tampa for first in the East and it's Jake DeBrus scoring his 15th. Ryan Donato on the assist. Donato is the son of former Bruin Ted Donato and the kid can play. Fires home his fourth already since joining Boston after the Olympics. 
Bruins win 5-1. They lead Tampa by a point atop the Eastern Conference. World Men's Curling Championship from Las Vegas, Canada, represented by Brad Gushu, who won the gold last year, taking on Team Russia in their opener. Canada led 5-1. Russia clawed back to tie it, but... Gushu with a quiet take it to, for takeout for two here. Canada takes its opener 7-6, just getting on the ice against Scotland tonight for its second match. PGA Tour stop is the Houston Open, and Englishman Ian Poulter turning back the clock. Great tee shot here at the par 3 16th to about six feet. Poulter, uh, Poulter rather, 7 under 65, tied for the lead with Bo Hostler. Poulter hasn't won in the PGA Tour since 2012. He's at 14 under. Jordan Spieth is four back. Final round on Global tomorrow at 12.30. You can watch the golf right after the Easter egg hunt, I suppose. Right? For sure. Yes, I've got tickets for Van Dusen. I should be enjoying that tomorrow. All right, finally tonight, with it being Easter weekend, of course, you've probably already had a whole load of chocolate eggs, but we want to show you a slightly different version a century-old candy store is making. For more than 100 years, Crown Candy Kitchen has been a St. Louis staple. My grandfather, Harry, opened it in 1913. A chocolate purist paradise. Mecca for that most revered Easter morning tradition. A lot of chocolate. Yep, we got chocolate crosses, chocolate rabbits with a little cart and the eggs in it. A basket full of sweet. What is that? Nothing says Happy Easter like a creepy doll head in your Easter basket, you know? Andy Karanzif, better known as Andy Candy, says the misfit chocolate started as a joke. We were out of rabbits. They said, we don't have any regular ones. We got broken ones, and they bought them. So he took it one step further, taking a pile of broken pieces. I thought, I'm going to make some, for lack of a better word, some Frankenstein bunnies or misfit bunnies. And I started gluing like a doll head onto a rabbit or a bear's head onto a chicken. Turns out he wasn't the only one laughing. Customers couldn't get enough. Now, instead of melting away mistakes... So you can just like literally drop the head on there and, and it's... You know, that's a little bit disturbing. <laughs> but once again, that's what we're going for. This is really sick. <laughs> what would your granddad think of this? Now, I don't think my grandfather would be happy at all. We're, we're doing this to, uh, to, to his Easter bunnies. <laughs> but he might be happy with the booming business. 6476, please. And a new tradition, sharing Easter joy with every bunny. Kristen Dahlgren, NBC News, St. Louis.